0: Welcome to or welcome back to the Journey Through Life podcast. I'm Justin Barton and I'm the host of the show and I'm very grateful to have you as a listener today. I'm sitting here recording in a grocery store parking lot in my car as my schedule just has made it so this is my opportunity to record and get this up. So if there are some background parking lot type noises, I apologize for that. But we're doing the best we can with what we have right now. So anyways, today... Um, we will be talking to Yitzi about Step 11. Now, Yitzi is a uh, is somebody who has a little bit of a shorter sobriety date than most of those that I've spoken with so far. But he has some great insights into prayer and meditation and Step 11, which is what we're covering. And I'm grateful to him for taking the time out to record this episode in this series. Now, as, as you go through this... Um, and as you listen to this episode, and you haven't, if you haven't listened to the previous ones, I invite you to go back and listen to those. Um, this series called Journey in Recovery is based on the 12 steps of recovery as originally laid out in Alcoholics Anonymous. And these steps are put in an order for a particular reason. And we go through the steps, steps 1 through 12, in an order. Now, you can listen to these in in any order you want, but I would highly recommend checking it out from the beginning to the end. Yes, you can listen to this episode now and then go back and start at the beginning, and that's totally fine. But I do invite you to check out all of these steps, even if you don't consider yourself an addict. I'm one who firmly believes that no matter what, uh, no matter what weakness, no matter what habit, addiction, um, whatever it may be, we as humans can be strengthened and can be lifted as we apply eternal principles that are true principles into our lives. And I believe that these 12 steps are true principles that can lift and help and strengthen each of us. Okay, so um, step 11 reads, Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out now in this and other conversations you may be introduced to concepts that you have never before considered or may even seem contradictory to what you have considered truth for perhaps your whole life but these concepts are shared as honestly and openly as possible using real experiences that cannot be denied as being true to these people sharing them While you listen, take mental or physical notes of ideas of self-improvement that pop into your head. Then, at the end of the podcast, review those notes and make a plan about how you can implement them. And if you do have the name or image of somebody, a friend or family member, come to mind as you're listening, please share this episode with them. It will be a great benefit to them and to you. Now, kick back, hit the road, work out, or do house or yard work, or Whatever you're doing in these times where many of us are um, kind of sequestered to our homes or uh, very few places, and give this episode a listen. Um, I'm grateful that these podcasts are something that can bring us a little bit more connection to the outside world, even in these times of mm, enforced isolation, I guess. So here we go with Step 11 with Yitzi. <music> Through the magic of internet, I'm sitting here with Yitzi. So, Yitzi, tell me a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself as if you were in a 12-step meeting, and then uh, and then we'll go from there.
1: Okay, thanks. So, uh, my name is Yitzi, and I was Axel. Hey, Yitzi. And, uh, yeah, um, I've spoken in meetings, and when I'll, I won't usually share this in a, in a meeting because there's controversy around this, but when I'll speak in a meeting, I will say, that I'm a recovered sexaholic, and I don't suffer from this disease, the obsession of mind and body anymore. And all I really have to do is work on spirit. And I'm sober by, the best way to describe it is by the connection to the grace of a power that I don't fully think I'll ever understand,
2: mm-hmm. could
1: ever understand. And it's the connection to that power that gives me that grace. So it's kind of a circle.
0: Very cool, Yitsi. So tell me, uh, when's your sobriety date?
1: Oh, sobriety date, October 30th, 2018.
0: 2018, so a little over a year. Very good. So what what was your first experience into what developed into an addiction? You know, kind of what's your story behind that?
1: So very briefly, I mean, I had a very, very early on in recovery. My first few months in the rooms, I... Called up my then sponsor in a panic because like I had a flashback and a memory from when I was five or six years old and that brought up shame of where me and one of my friends you know we played doctor another guy and we did like all sorts of weird things that I was very embarrassed about Mm -hmm. but the bottom line today I could just see is two little kids exploring their bodies and nothing inherently wrong with that which is interesting because. I do remember when I thought back now, when I think back now to it, I remember the shame around it. And I know that shame is a big part of my disease. that loves living in that shame. And today I could say that I don't experience that shame much. Yeah. That, like, first experience, I don't know if that was an addiction yet, but a bit later, the best way I could describe my addiction is ages, let's say, 13 to 17. My pretty much routine would be um, I would buy magazines. And then at some point, I would also buy DVDs. Get feel very guilty at some point about it. Throw it all out. Go to school, have a great day. Happen to be Jewish, so it was just like spiritually connected and all that, and feeling really connected to God and learning God's word all, all day basically. You know, besides a few hours of English, English uh, general studies, but you know, literally spending seven to ten hours a day like studying God's word and then coming home and having this compulsion and need to either find fish the stuff out of the garbage. And usually I was happier if I didn't find it in the garbage, if the garbage was taken, because that meant I would go get new stuff, because I'd get bored of it. And I, I never understood this insanity, but I got bored of it after sometimes five minutes of looking at it. But then I still went on for another two, three hours, you know, with the same magazine when I was right. using it. But like after two minutes, I'm like, "What the hell am I even doing already?" It's like it's so confusing and shameful, but it's interesting, I was reflecting about this a few weeks ago, that, you know, lust for me is a spiritual experience. If I remove the shame, I remove the guilt, the experience that I had with lust, it made me whole, and it made me not want to be, at that point, not to necessarily deal with all the stuff that was happening in my life, all the. Pain and the neglect and whatever else was happening in my life. So, in essence, I believe lust was a, you know, I don't see lust as a bad thing today.
2: Hmm.
1: I see lust as something neutral that I can use for bad or use for good.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Yitzi. Um, what, as you look back, I mean, you mentioned the shame and, and everything that, uh, that came along with your, uh, the practice of your addiction. When do you think that you first realized, hmm, I've really got a problem here and I haven't been able to stop no matter how much I'm trying?
1: So the first, there was a time that I tried to stop for a while. It was a friend of mine who, um we we're in the same school together and we we're studying. We were like study partners in like, this is school, this is, I'm about 20. I'm in Israel. And by the way, I'm 26 now. Okay. I was in a, It was about, I was 1920-ish in Israel, Mm -hmm. and I believe God put this person in my life to basically, you know, help me hit my bottom in a way, Um, because we're we're still friends. We're still good friends. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: For whatever reason, he opened up to me about some of his general experiences with relationships with opposite sex and stuff like that, and then I felt comfortable enough telling him about what I struggle with, because... It was a lot of shame and to know someone else that went through a similar kind of situation. He's not in a 12-step program, and for him, it was just you know being wild as a teen, and today he's married with kids, and mm-hmm. as far as I know, he's as normal as they come.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right But like that simple anecdote just shows the, 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 the absolute difference bodily and mentally that I have from other normal people. Right? They can do the same nonsense that I do and they're able to stop and stay stopped, and I couldn't. Hmm. But basically, in, in brief, he, he, he heard me out, and we spoke a lot and had a lot of questions about certain specifics, because once I had someone I could talk to, I had a lot of questions. Bottom line, I was very like clingy with him, and uh, he's, he's still someone I need to make amends to, just bringing that up for me. But the, the point is, is that he sent me to a therapist in the, at the time, I went Hmm. to one therapist, I went to another, I stopped like physically acting out for like four months. Okay. And all it did is it brought out my pride and my ego. Like I'm better than everyone else for whatever reason. I don't know why that is. And I was still feeding my obsession with some like R rated movies and and I wasn't not lusting. I was not acting out. And that then burst at about four months. You know, I was trying with different therapies.
0: What kind of invited you or motivated you to step into a a recovery room or or whatever for the first time?
1: So the the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, I was chatting with a lot of people online. I'd already acted out with people. But like, for whatever reason, that's the way God set it up was like a social media kind of situation. One of these like social media apps. And I got. Met up with someone there, like on social media, randomly, that allowed me to use his office to go meet up with a girl and act out. I don't know why he did that, and then he he felt guilty about it, and then he made a deal with me that if I stop, and don't masturbate and don't watch pornography, um, and no, it wasn't about don't masturbate. It was about getting rid of all the devices, um, not emailing any girls and stuff like that for a period of two months he worked in the phone, the phone industry and he gave me a a simple phone as opposed to a smartphone.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, and, um, I dropped off my smartphone there and he was going to give me a certain amount of money, which most of it I paid back to him. I still owe him a bit, but -hmm. within two days I was messaging girls cause I was powerless. And then that led me cause I spoke with, like when I broke up with this girl that I was like kind of acting out with, not really dating, but like acting out with for a few mm-hmm. for a few weeks, I spoke with one of her mentors who he got me involved with a Jewish um program that helps people with pornography, addiction or struggle or and after that, I slowly got involved. for first, they had their like they have like phone meetings and they're very pro twelve steps. but i find I found for me it was a very good gateway to really try all the kind of human powered methods out there Mm -hmm. before I would say that. I mean, I don't know, like if someone would have told me go to a live meeting, that would have been so scary. Yeah. And even going on that website and starting to speak with people was very helpful because I like spoke with other people the first time in my life that I like had that kind of fellowship connection in a way where there's a common problem. Thinking back, just the fact that like a lot of the, Shame and the Guilt was, was kind of removed a bit in the beginning because of that, because of the fact that, they, that, that I had someone to connect with, right? Mm-hmm. So then I, I, slowly went, I slowly started with their like phone meetings where they read the big book, 12 and 12, and I started reading those books, I started reading the white book, but I tried. And then I met up with an essay member, we met up a few times, and then I decided I want to go to a meeting. And I was in Jerusalem, and I'll just mention this briefly. Mm-hmm. I was so desperate at that point to go to a meeting. I didn't care anymore. And I, in, the, in those days in Jerusalem, could be it is that way still today, which is a great way to have it. that They have a few people 12-step you before you walk into your meeting, so you know what, what's flying. So I went down. I took a 45-minute bus ride to the other side of Jerusalem to meet up with this couple, and they both 12-stepped me. Mm. And then I went to my first meeting two days later.
2: So
0: describe what that means when you say they twelve step me, because there's gonna be a lot of people that listen to this who aren't twelve-steppers. So kind of describe what that process looks like.
1: Yeah. So basically they sat me down, they welcomed me, shared a bit of their story. They're both in the essay, both lost addicts, both sober. And they both sat down and shared some stuff with me about themselves or you know, invited me to share about myself. I remember at that point I went I'm an addict, so I was very anxious. I wanted to make it to that meeting that night. Mm-hmm. The meeting was when it was a Wednesday night and I wanted to go that night because the next meeting was Friday. And I was like at that point so desperate to make it to a meeting. I really, really wanted to go that that night. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't till I got there, till we spoke, and they're like, you know, you can run, you can make a bus, but like it didn't work out and it was fine. But but like I remember I was like anxious, I was a little nervous. I was very happy to actually meet up with people who were sober and and like working the program meaning i was I was happy to connect with someone that this thing works for
0: yeah so so they basically just kind of shared their story, maybe shared some of the the hope of the solution that they had found in that process and and it allowed you to share your story and maybe the hopelessness or powerlessness you were feeling. Is that kind of did I summarize that okay
1: so yeah, they also explained a bit about, like, I had a, had a whole bunch of questions. I'm a newcomer. I don't know anything. I have a whole bunch of questions. And they answered most, like, they answered my questions. I don't even remember much. It's been, like, four years but since that first, meeting, first time there. So I don't remember much, but I do remember, like, in general, I walked out of there feeling a lot more, a lot happier that there is some solution out there. But more importantly than that, I feel like that I'm not alone in a way I already got from this website stuff. But that there's a solution that it worked for other people, and if they're like me, it might work for me too yeah, like I, I had that identification with the solution, not just the common problem
0: right so you mentioned that that uh, you were scared to go to a an in-person meeting. Tell me a little bit about what fears you had, you know the things that you had cooked up in your mind as to what it might look like to walk into one of these meetings for the first time
1: right, so at the time I'm a Hasidic boy in a in a Prestigious school in Israel, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm studying there, quote unquote, studying there all day. The reality is, I'm sitting in, I'm in bed, sleeping all day, up all night, right? That's mm-hmm. really where I'm at. And pulling up to school once every few days just to show my face and trying my best, honestly. and wasn't trying to maliciously harm anyone, right? right? But anyway, but well, that's just the person I was. So, like, with this whole big self image that I I've almost no attachment to it today. I would say I was afraid of who I'm going to meet there. What other people I, did, I had no idea about the concept of anonymity yet. I didn't mm-hmm. know that that a meeting is a safe place to share anything and what you see here and who you see here and what you hear here stays here. Right. Those kind of concepts. I didn't know that all that exists. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't know anything. I'm a newcomer. Just knew that I needed help and I was hurting. In my mind, also, a live meeting was when someone is acting out left and right with people and putting themselves and others in danger, and maybe someone who's married and has an affair. Those are the kind of people that are there. But I'm basically, I'm a guy who masturbates and watches pornography and chats with girls and occasionally meets and hooks up with a girl. It's not the end of the world, you know? Mm. That's the way that was in my mind. I don't need such a drastic solution as a meeting, you know?
0: Right. So, what other solutions had you tried before the meeting saying, uh, this one will work? I think this one will work. And, and they didn't work up to that point.
1: I mean, I tried therapy, psychiatry. One of the therapists I went to brought me to like a psychologist who did the Rorschach and the blood test and all these other, you know, psychology tests. Mm-hmm. And I almost felt like in the big book, there's you're probably familiar, there's a guy named Rome Hazard. He's not mentioned in the big book, but his story is mentioned in the big book. He went to Carl Jung, yeah, and Carl Jung basically pronounced him as a hopeless alcoholic, save for some kind of spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And this doctor, pretty much, he he wrote an assessment based on these tests that he did with me, and he said he pretty much said the same thing. Like, this guy can't see his life being any different. He could have a fundamental shift and change, but he can't envision seeing his life at any in any different light.
2: Hmm.
1: I don't remember his exact words, but then a couple, uh, maybe a couple of months ago, I found this letter. It's from 2014. It's a year and a half before I joined the rooms. And in that letter, he pretty much like, I mean, the gist of that letter was like he signed my death warrant. He kind of said, you know, this guy's hopeless and he's not really going to ever recover from his trauma or from his other stuff or from his addiction.
0: Hmm. That's pretty tough stuff to hear in your early 20s, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really, I got the letter. I fully didn't even appreciate it that much. I just had it sitting there. And I was in a relationship recently and I showed it to my then girlfriend. That's when I brought it up because we were talking about different things about my addiction and recovery. And, um, you know, she had a lot of different questions and then it brought up a lot of stuff for me in a positive way. Like I was able to share a lot of good stuff with her about where my life was and where my life is. So I booked up that. And then there was, a, you know, he sent me to a graphologist who was very accurate in the way he said it. He said that I have a lot of trauma and that, you know, his, his opinion at that point was I should get married and kind of just fast track it with that. And that'll solve the problems of right. trauma. If I have someone that'll love me, which that's, apparently that didn't apparently that didn't happen and Mm -hmm. you know thank god for that the more i'm now single in recovery the more i realize thank god i didn't get married before
0: Mm. why do you think that way i mean i think that there's a lot of people who maybe struggle with um, sexual things in their teenage years and early 20s or whatever and they think man if i just get married this will all go away because then you know I'll be able to have sex with my wife anytime or whatever and won't have to worry about this stuff. But as you've come through uh, this recovery process, you're going through it, and you mentioned, thank God that I didn't get married. Why, Why do you say that now?
1: Because I saw that my, that getting married would only aggravate the problem, right? I also worked the program for codependency. And the first like, two like and a half months of the relationship that I was in, it's just, there's so much fear coming up. And I called up my sponsor and I was like complaining to him about it. Like, I really work this program. I live in 10, 11, and 12. And I try to keep my house clean and I'm happy, joyous, and free. And when I get into a relationship, all hell's breaking loose. And like all these fears are coming from all over. Hmm. I felt in a way that's where my higher power, God as I understand them, was putting me in, into a new situation to, to force me to grow.
2: Yeah.
1: And growing pains are never pleasant. But my sponsor told me something. That was so true, and I can laugh about it now, because it makes sense, and it made sense then, and I laughed then, but the point is, is it was also painful to hear. but he said, "Um, how long have you been in, in recovery?" I said, "You know, about two years, whatever, like working on codependency, and how many years are you have you um, perpetuated abusive behavior on yourself?" I said, "Oh, about twenty something so he's like, you wanna, you want to clean that up and in, in that amount of time in two years, yeah, clean up like fifteen, 20 years of, like." it brings up fear, but I'm, I'm assuming that had I not been in recovery, it might've also brought up the fear. I wouldn't have had the tools. And I probably would have, you know, shot the relationship to hell. Yeah. Because I'm not capable of being in a relationship in a, in a drunken state.
0: Right. So you'd see one of the, um, interesting things, I mean, you and I we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about step 11 here in a few minutes. Uh, but before I get there, I want to kind of walk down this. Because step 11 is about strengthening my relationship with my higher power, with God, right? And, and opening up a, a communication with him to guide me to do what his will is. Um, but before we get there, your whole life, it sounds like, have been a religiously devout person, at least on the outside where everybody saw it, right? Yes. Yeah. So there's, there's always been a connection to God whether it was internalized or whether it was just external, right?
1: Mm, Yes and no. Yeah, so explain that. So I thought that I had a relationship with God until I actually started having a real relationship with God. And I'm like, the one before was not really anything. It was just me me making demands on God, pretty much. Mm. I had a lot of demands and a lot of bartering and a lot of begging and a lot of just forgive me for this if I do that. And just, it was, it was, a uh, you know, the white book and I believe it's step 11 or maybe in step two, I forget where it says it about, about, um, having a dysfunctional relationship with God. Mm. Cause that's what I had. I had a give me, I had a God that would, you know, I'm selfish and self-centered. So God works for me.
0: Mm. Kind of a concierge for you or something like that, huh?
1: Yeah. He's my go-to when I have good, I think. And, and when I have bad, I ask him to get me out of it. But Sometimes it's not like there's a real heart in it, you know? And I'll just speak to that experience very briefly that over my time in recovery, my relationship with God religiously as well as in the program is evolving constantly. Mm -hmm. And where I'm at now in regard to stuff in my religion, the way I describe it is I take very deliberate actions. It's not haphazard. It's I take very deliberate actions to the end of where my heart is currently now with taking these consistent actions for a while
0: walk me through one of those deliberate actions that you're referring to before you get to that how it's how it is right now did you do some of those same deliberate actions beforehand but they were with a different focus or a different my, uh, thought process or
1: yeah some of them like religious prayer and putting on the phylacteries filling mm-hmm. right the jewish uh, stuff that men wrap around their arm, we wrap it around their arm and we wrap it around their head to basically do the same thing as we do in the third step. In the 10th step, we give our will and life over to God. We're, we're literally, the, the words in the prayer that Jews say is, we're enslaving our will and life to God, pretty much. Hmm. That's the word we use.
0: As you're wrapping those phylacteries, you're saying yeah. those types we're, of we're things. We're
1: binding, I'm binding myself to my creator, basically, so that he should do with me as he will.
0: Yeah and yet before that was just kind of an action with words that may not have felt empty when you said them, but they really were empty. Is that correct?
2: Yeah.
1: And there were times that they, they did feel empty, and there were times that when I was like compulsively acting out for years, there were times there were months that, that I wouldn't pray because I felt so dirty and so like disgusting. Who am I to pray before God? Today it's like as if I could ever be—I um, could ever measure up. I could never measure up to what I expect, what I thought God would have me be. Per, like the image of what I thought God would have me mm-hmm. was so far from what I really was, and there was mm-hmm. a lot of shame.
0: Yeah. So, so now that you are doing these deliberate actions with a different frame of mind, I mean, how how is that different now? Using the same words and everything. How has your heart changed to make it so it's a different thing?
1: So, number one, um, a lot of it it's, was a lot of like back and forth with that. It's part of my journey. Um, I'll just mention this because um, just to understand how this, how this went for me. Um, so, before, before this, now I have like 16 months. Before that, I had about 14, 13, 14 months. Okay. Also, a very like serious kind of recovery, steps oriented. And whatever, when I get more into the meditation, maybe I'll discuss like how yeah. it like, kind of fell apart and my meditation life got flat. And that was like the main cause of my relapse weren't the circumstances that happened, but it was more the, you know, whatever, I'll get into that later. Yeah, the point there is that at some point being sober a bit and like not keeping the Sabbath. So not keeping the Sabbath, I didn't have a problem with it until it came to a place where, wait a second, if I'm trying to be true to myself, how could I do that? This question of self-honesty came into play. And hmm. like it really hit me in the face because I was sober. And my head's clear. One of the one of the things I could say I'm most grateful to God is for a clear mind because I try to use it to to meditate and then be helpful to others. But basically, so I started first with with an old timer and the uh, old timer in the program who's, who's Jewish. He helped me out for a bit, then I went to a rabbi. Then I went to the rabbi that I currently go, that I I'm currently involved with now, who's mm-hmm. guiding me, and we speak every once in a while. I spoke to him about how meditation is like a real center of my life. This is maybe a year ago, maybe a little less, and that's when I went to this specific rabbi a little over a year ago, I'd say, and uh, basically he helped me just be able to integrate the idea of I'm putting on this I'm putting on this stuff. I, I told him I want to do it. Like, I feel that's where I want to go, but I don't feel a heart there. What do I do about that? So, we spoke about that. and He's familiar with the 12 steps, and he just told me, you know, you're, if you're very into meditation and mindfulness, make that part of your mindfulness, make that part of your meditation. Make the Sabbath day, the 25 hours that you're not doing any kind of labor or being on phones or anything like mm-hmm. that. If I put in the mindfulness, then I can connect with it much more easily. If I put in that, the med- the meditative, space that state of mind so to speak put on that attitude so, so that's basically how that slowly over time and here and there i'm much more gentle with myself these days you know i can't give myself a free pass just because i can make mistakes and then give myself a free pass oh right you screwed up today whatever no it it means just being gentle with myself and not beating myself up and my general i guess you could call it self-talk is a lot more gentle and, and like just kind of affirming and, and validating as opposed to beating myself over the head. Hmm. So there are days here and there where I miss or, Oh, I wake up late and I don't have time or I try to do it later, but it gets late and I can't put it on after dark. So, but, um, the point is, is that most days, ideally I try to do it when I, right when I wake up, I do my morning meditation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but like the routine with that, but basically I try to do it before I leave the house to work. So over time doing that as a general process for almost a year it has a heart. Now I found, you know, I found the heart. I've awakened that part of me where, where that thing, it kind of comes naturally mm-hmm. and it kind of, I get excited to do it every day it, because it became integrated into my own allowed step in a way.
0: So so you mentioned there that you're a little bit more gentle with yourself. You give yourself a little bit more grace in, in your imperfections and your, your shortcomings and stuff. How much of that grace or gentleness, that you give yourself, do you ascribe to you seeing God? Well, do you see God differently now than you did previously?
1: Yes, definitely. Very, very different. I see I see a God that just, just wants my good. And I just, you know, anytime, I, anytime I'm feeling any discomfort, He's really just, you know, pulling me by the lapels and saying, Hey, you know, I love you. Um, I want what's best for you. Maybe you can't see it. But what I want is, is best for you. I'm going to wake you up to another reality that you can handle at
0: this moment. And that allows you to give yourself a little bit more grace and feeling that instead of him, he's not grabbing you by the shirt and just beating you against the wall saying, what are you doing? He's actually pulling you by the lapel. Hey, Hey son, have you ever thought about it this way? Yeah. So that's kind of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Totally resonate with that. That is something that uh, my own perception of who God is in my life has changed drastically over the last handful of years as I've been learning these things and applying these things. And it, it, it's it been a, like I said, life-changing experience to have to see God differently for who I believe He really is. But is there anything else from your backstory or or your experience in, in recovery that you'd like to share before we get specifically into step 11?
1: I'll just say that really a general kind of statement that all that what I find over time is that all the steps are really interconnected. Every step at some point will bring me back to step one Mm. and every step will bring me back to step two, et cetera. And all the steps will kind of be interwoven and kind of interlock in like some kind of a, you want to call like a kaleidoscope or some kind of like, where when you look at one and you see through, you see the thread running through them, uh, one step running through all the others and and vice versa, Um, just the general kind of, outlook that I have on the steps. Mm-hmm. And um I guess the the point I'll just hone in on the gentleness aspect because I, I I know I i struggled with it and I hear a lot of people in the room struggle with like beating themselves up about this, about that. And like to me there's this line there's this this idea of like why does it really does it really matter? Or is it really just fear of like I'm not gonna be accepted if I don't have that level of what I perceive as what the standard is or what are people gonna say. And um and basically my prime example is I remember like maybe it was a bit over two and a half years ago or so when I lost like some it was a little I had like a portable charger and I lost the bag that it came in. And I was so upset at myself about it at the time. And like today I could sometimes misplace something here and there and I'll find it when I find it, when I need it. It's a totally different mindset, being more gentle with myself and I try to also as much as possible, try to give that give that kind of vibe to others and be gentle with them too. Because I sometimes have this problem where I'm gentle with myself, but then when it comes to other people, I'm rough around the edges.
2: Yeah, but
0: as you live more and more in recovery, well, this is my experience, as I live more and more in recovery, I'm able to see people with their own humanity and, and have a little bit more gentleness or grace with them than I have previously, it's still a battle. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, I hope that they would have the same gentleness or grace for me that I would hopefully have for them. So that's, that's been a big shift in my own perceptions too. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah. And then I'll add one more line on to that Mm -hmm. specifically on that, that this guy, I'm reading a lot of his stuff in my meditations these days, Anthony DeMello, absolute phenomenal, Phenomenal speaks straight to my experience with the program, and I love it. One of my favorite lines from him is We see people as we are, never as they are. Whatever I experience from you is because I what is what I bring out from myself mm. and judge you, be it positive, be it negative, And that's what I see in you. If I'll see you a spiritual guru, is that because in myself I believe that there's some part of me that's a spiritual guru that connects to
2: you. Mm. If
1: I see in you someone who's dishonest or doesn't know what they're talking about, that's because within me there's a part that believes about myself that I'm dishonest and I don't know.
2: Hmm.
1: Very subtle.
0: I like that. Okay, so I'm reading from the big book here. Step 11 from the big book reads, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So Yitzi, tell me a little bit about what that means to you, and then we'll get into kind of your experience in in living and trying to work your
1: uh, step eleven in your daily life. Sure. So that's the short form. I'll just write. I'll just mention that's the short form of the because there's obviously a longer form which lasts a couple of pages, which tells me which tells me more very pointed direction, exactly, precisely, clear cut directions on how to how to do this process of meditation. So it tells me to seek through prayer and meditation to, to improve my conscious contact with God, which assumes that I've, at that point, established a conscious contact with God that I need to improve. I can improve on something that I don't have. Right. And actually, it's interesting, in the end of the 10th step, on the bottom of page 85 of the big book, it says, if we've carefully followed directions, we've begun to sense the flow of the Spirit into us. To some extent, we've become more God-conscious. Mm. We've begun to develop this vital sixth sense, etc. And I'll read actually the line before that, which I love. Uh, much has already been said about receiving strength and inspiration and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. So we're seeking to improve that conscious contact with God, and I'm praying for only two things: knowledge and power. Mm. I need knowledge of God's will plus the power, the power of God to carry it out, because if I just it's very simple, if I just have knowledge without power then I'm a useless guy laying in my bed with all this knowledge, but no, no actual uh, practical way of carrying it out. Yeah. I have all this knowledge within me, but I can't, I can't actualize it. I don't have a way to utilize it. I have this knowledge. And if it's just power without knowledge, then that's useless too. That's, more re- that's reckless. Right. I have power, but I'm going to misuse it. I'm going to end up making a lot of mistakes because it's not directed. It has to be directed with knowledge and power. I actually read a story about this. This Anthony DeMello has this book, tiny little stories called One Minute Wisdom, and one of the stories is this master asks his disciples, "What's more important, action or or enlightenment?" Hmm. So they said action. So he said, "What good is action if it comes from an unlightened heart?" So this exact concept. So I'm I'm only praying for two things: thing one, knowledge; thing two, power of God's will carried out and try to to be a better person in this world, a better or more spiritually awakened person in this world. And that's all it's telling me to ask. And it says, like, in many places throughout the book that I don't pray for myself. I only pray for others.
0: So how do you, how do you internalize and then try to externalize it? So how do you get the, gain the knowledge, and then when do you decide to act on it and put it into action?
1: Right. So basically, I mean, I've had a lot of different experiences over my time in recovery with meditation. My first sponsor who had taken me through the big book, he told me to start off with meditating three minutes two three minutes and just making a list of at night of what I, what I could do tomorrow, like kind of a list and just meditate on it and just ask God to show me like what I, what I should do with that. So, um, that was my first introduction. And then a bit later, um, my first like real experience, I guess, with meditation would have been in the fear inventory where where I wrote like a bunch of columns and then the last column was what God would have me be. Mm. And after each thing I would meditate. And I remember with the resentment prayer as well, I prayed the resentment prayer and then I asked God how to be helpful to that person. That was the first time I kind of flash of like sitting with someone else, sitting with my sponsor and meditating and then discussing it. Mm. But then later when I got to like 10 and 11, right? 10 is about the way of life. And, and it, it says that I, Commence this way of live. I vigorously commence this way of living. Easy does it, as I clean up the past. Right. Right. And, and it says to, that my next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness, and that's what I'm seeing so far. That meditation is just another way to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And there are three ways to grow in understanding and effectiveness that I see. One is watching for stuff, which is tenth step, watching and being immediately as willing as I am at the moment that I see it to let it go. Mm-hmm. and trying to share it with someone and being helpful, turning my attention back to God. Then there's the 11th step, which grows me in conscious contact with God. Then there's the 12th step, which grows me in conscious con- in conscious in, in contact with other human beings who need help. So my first experience was with that, resembling inventory, fear inventory, sex inventory, what God would have me be instead, what I should have done instead, um, a sex ideal, a, a sane and sound ideal for my future sex life, like the big book says.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Right, all this stuff is pages sixty three to seventy one, mm-hmm. pretty much. That's the fourth step. And um basically after that, like the, the quiet hour was probably the most first like powerful moment where I really, really experienced it. I was in a religious school then and I remember I did the hour and then I called up my sponsor and I was like shocked and dumbfounded. Like it was like this peace that washed over me that I couldn't explain. Hmm. And the cool thing is, is that recently I went back, I started working in that school. I work as a shadow with kids, and the, the job that I have is is in that school. And I walked into that room, and I just had that those feelings came back in such a powerful way. I, I experienced a level of healing walking back in the place where I did my six and seven on my knees, you know. I, I'd done the seven-step prayer in that room. That room was still there. And I the first time I walked into it and was aware of it, it like, blew me away mm. like it's it's one of those experiences you can't even describe. I just experienced the healing of coming back to that place mm. and seeing how far I've come since i did that wow a- after that, I started with ten and eleven and I started really like doing the readings in the big book and then over time with that and then a bit later i i uh you know it got it got a little dry, so i did so i did like I would read to myself sometimes the a big book from 60 to 63 on the third step and like meditate on that in the mornings as I'll just meditate on the third step prayer in the mornings. And my previous sponsor was my sponsor for about two years and we started working um, whatever we were speaking about different things. And one of the things I asked him like off the back, cause he speaks a lot. He's a circuit speaker in AA and like that's how I got in, in touch with him because I loved his, his stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like at the time I was sober like five and a half months, I didn't have official, I had a sponsor, but I didn't really, I don't know how to describe it. I'd been through the big book with some of those people and then it was kind of like go on your own and write inventory and share when you, when you need, which is, it's like a kind of a standoff kind of sponsorship role. And so I didn't really officially have a sponsor. I'd been through the steps and if I needed, I had my sponsor and other people to talk to
2: mm-hmm.
1: and questions about sponsees and everything else. And just living this spiritual life. And I had plenty of, th- plenty of speaker tapes, which I still listen to all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of these speaker tapes was this guy. And I, I listened to him. And he blew me out of the water. There are two people. One of them is a guy named Mark H. And he passed away. But had he been alive, I would have loved to have him as my sponsor. Mm. And then the other guy is my sponsor, who's a guy named Dave F. He's still around in AA. So when I called him up, um, one of the things we spoke about prayer, meditation, and from his workshop that he, that he, you know, he did a workshop on all 12 steps and it really touched me in a in a, an amazing way. I loved every minute of it. Mm-hmm. So I called him up and, you know, we were speaking about different things and I liked the way he posed the question to me, how's your prayer and meditation life? He was talking about a prayer and meditation life. Like mm-hmm. it was an actual reality. It wasn't just, oh, we pray and we meditate and then we go on our day. It takes on the life. And I told him, I think it was going okay. At the time I was using specifically for a few weeks i was using the old oxford group um meditation thing called how to listen to god and if anyone who's listening wants to find it you just put in how to listen to god pdf and it should come up that's a pretty cool way whether you're in a 12-step recovery program or you're not you could uh, utilize something called two-way prayer Mm -hmm. So i was doing that for a few weeks i was just like changing things up and trying to find what works yeah. And then I asked him, what do you recommend for, for prayer and meditation? So he laughed and he said, the big book. And I said, really? And he sent me a recording where he basically outlines pretty much 12 places in the book. where He, he, he split it up into 12 parts in the book that he calls the 12 prayers, meditations, and visions. Hmm. Because he has another point that there's prayer and there's meditation. And then there's another point in the book, which is vision. Hmm. Which a lot of times is just inferred. It's mentioned once or twice, but it's inferred a whole bunch throughout the text in different ways. And the vision is is like to make a mental movie. The the best example that he gives sometimes in some of his talks is if I make a mental movie of of what it looks like to do God's will in the day, and as I plan my day, and then something comes up that throws that plan off, say some conflict happens at work and my ego is at play. And then I remind myself, hey, it's you're a spiritual man. You got to be spiritual now. But if I don't have something formulated in my mind as to what God's will is when I get into conflict, then I'm gonna, my mind's going to be blank. My ego's, running out against, my ego's running out against my spirituality. They're both trying to clash heads
2: mm-hmm.
1: and see who wins. They're both fighting for dominance. And basically, all I'm, all I'm getting out of that is I have to now construct because I'm, I'm a human being. I can't act out of instinct. I have to come out with some kind of idea in my head, some kind of plan of action, and then take it. It doesn't happen by road. I don't cross the street by road. I know that our there are cars there. I wait for the light, and then I cross. Right? I have to do it. It's the same thing in anything in life. But if I have a movie from the morning, what does it look like in my life today in general? What does it look like to do God's will in a specific given situation or even generally situations that come up? And then I could take that mental movie and plug it in. Just play that tape through. That's the only time I'll use the play the tape through. Hmm. When it comes to this, I could use the play to tape through. In other words, I have the tape that I made in the morning. And I just plug it in and I just quickly run through that. Oh, that's what God wants me to do in this case. I should shut up. I should try to maybe just say what I have to say and say it respectfully. And try to de-escalate the situation and... and Let's. I'm just giving you an example of where it could come up in, in many different ways. Because my disease currently today lives in those little interactions hmm. where I get disturbed. That's where my disease lives. And the interactions where I get disturbed, that's where it lives. So it's prayer, meditation, and vision. And every piece to those 12, the way he directed me to do it, is the way I started out the first week with one piece. and worked with it for seven days. And then added on piece number two, and then added on piece number three every seven days. So by the time I, at twelve weeks passed, I, I was very thirsty for for spiritual knowledge, and spiritual, you know, experience, like spirituality, and I still am.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The way I see like my recovery going, currently is that there's this never-ending well, and I love that. Like my my life is fresh. My life is like constantly new experiences, It's not the same boring. I'm not going into the day the same boring day again and again and again. Because every day I, uh, I take an inventory at night, the nightly review, and I do, I do it written. I could get to that later more. But um, I get a plan for the day from that. My corrective measures at the end of the day. And then, so my, my life is constantly evolving in different ways. So I, I never see it as my life is going flat or boring or nowhere. I'm, I'm living the hell out of this life.
0: Well, very cool. So, so one thing I want to kind of drag out of you here a little bit is uh, for a lot of my life, meditation seemed like this space age thing that, you know, just weirdos did for most of my life, you know, and prayer was my experience. Yes. I believed I was talking at God, but my experience was my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling most of the time, you know, I didn't recognize them getting anywhere. Tell me a little bit about what prayer means to you, what meditation means to you. Kind of separate them out and define them according to your experience.
1: So I guess in the past, right, when I before recovery, I would say, and early on, it's interesting. I'd always had this connection in, in, with religious prayer, just I didn't have a heart. Today, I could say I have a heart to actually accept it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a heart to actually be able to take it in. I knew all the words, even though Hebrew, I tell you all the words, what they meant, and even these these poems that they say once or twice a year.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I loved, like, studying them and taking them apart and really understanding them and songs and stuff. But I never, my heart wasn't there because I didn't have a heart to be there. I, I, there's no other way for me to describe it, but, like, I, I had a heart. Mm-hmm. The heart was not there. It was not, like, my heart was so covered up by all this stuff that i you know all the stuff that I thought was myself, mm. all this false identity within myself, I didn't have a heart to be able to use to to pray. So my prayers, I guess I would say also i I, I believed in prayer, uh, you know um, my my religion is very very into prayer. Mm-hmm. Right? Jews generally pray three times a day and every day and like prayer is a very central part of our lives and and um, i mean i don't i don't do that now for one simple reason that my heart isn't there yet and i know that i could go technically to physically and do it but could go do it and i might even enjoy it but it's not going to last because my heart isn't in it
2: Hmm.
1: i'm not at that level yet i can't jump the gun i have to take baby steps with that okay i'm like you know and i want to get to a place where that happens but that That'll happen in God's time, so to speak. But back to the, back to the point. So, so prayer for me today is just a way of me asking God to, please use me in your service. Today that I'm square with God, and, and most people, you know, besides some people, I have to make amends to, but I'm basically square with God and the universe around me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I try to be God's servant on this earth. I try to, you know, really, really put that third-step prayer into action that I'm supposed to bear witness to those I'm going to help with his power, his love, and his way of life. I have to ask him for help to do his will always. And uh, that's what prayer is. Meditation is, it's connected because the prayers, the prayers, the way I the way I do it now with the big book is I take the words. For example, the first uh, meditation my sponsor um, has like in a sheet of like the meditations is, it says, so we clean house with the family in page 83, in the middle of the, the last sentence of the first paragraph. It says, so we clean house with the family. It's talking about amends to family, like how mm-hmm. we make amends. You know, we've destroyed everything and then, and then we say, oh, we're sober, so that should be enough. But then it says, no, there's a long period of reconstruction, a remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to frankly analyze the past as we now see it. And then it says, um, so we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way. patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. So what I do with that is, is it's a prayer. I take the words and I make it into my, instead of just saying the words of the book,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I make that into my own personal prayer and my own words from wherever my heart is at the moment. Over time, I've become more intuitive to it. For example, there's a therapist that I'm working with that I was very resistant and reluctant to work with at first Mm -hmm. because he he was working with me on trauma using the 12 steps and I spoke with my sponsor and other people about it. Cause I'm a very big, I'm a very big, uh, big book and traditions fundamentalist. And I believe that this has to be completely free. Mm-hmm. And like, I wasn't sure if like the 12 step method will work for, for this. So anyway, he had me write out, whatever we spoke about the first two steps and in a specific manner you know, related to my trauma, related to my addiction, whatever. And then we spoke. Um, then he told me to write out a third step prayer based on those two. And then I wrote out a prayer and I shared it with him. And he's like, that's not really what we spoke about. So I told him, well, I work. I try to work with spirit. And when I'm writing a prayer that I'm going to find meaning to, it has to come from my spirit. If I find it's choreographed by words of somewhere else, it's not. it's, it's just a waste of time for me. So I wrote, I have that written prayer, and that's what I connect with, as opposed to a prayer that's connected to specific words. The prayer that I wrote, meaning, is is connected to to specific experiences that I currently felt, where my third step needed honing and you know stuff like that. Prayer for me is stuff from the heart of me talking to God. Meditation, in a way, would be the listening to God part, the the part where I sit quietly and just listen
2: Hmm.
1: and like let the noise of the day just flow by and listen i'll, I'll just I'll, I'll just mention a, a quick story about this cuz i use the story a lot in general in life it's again from anthony de in that book uh-huh. there's this disciple of the of the of the master and he's he's trying to meditate and the master is is you know going about his business in the other room and he's making some noise and he's like building something with bricks and he's making a lot of noise First, At first, the disciple was, you know, much more tr- trying to be at peace and trying to ignore the noise. But after a while, he screamed at this master, what are you doing? So he's like, I'm trying to make a mirror out of this brick. So he says, you can't make a mirror out of the brick. Says the master, you can't make a meditator out of the self.
2: Hmm.
1: And like, I get a lot of times I get very, um, this is like my selfishness and self-centeredness. But when I hear a noise and I'm meditating, it disturbs me, it bothers me. And I'm like, wait a second, I could meditate even through the noise. And, and actually, my sponsor said in, in that talk, they did a bit of a quiet meditation there for a few minutes. And he said, um, whoever heard, like, there was a little noise of someone making a noise in the hallway, whoever heard that noise, you were meditating, you were in the present moment, because you had to be right here, right now, body, mind, and spirit, in order to hear that noise. Hmm. sometimes what i think is the is the most annoying thing to happen for me in meditation is actually the best thing because i'm actually being in the present moment it brings me to the present moment if i wouldn't be here if i'm thinking about something somewhere else i wouldn't hear the car beeping now outside that would be the meditation the meditation is where i sit quietly and i'm able to just see what comes up with the with with different things
2: yeah
0: so as you mentioned earlier for meditation you sit and you well prayer is talking to god and meditation and i'm totally summarizing this up into really mm-hmm. short stuff meditation is listening to god what does god's voice sound like to you how, how do you recognize his voice or his promptings to act
1: so well i mean i, I for a while i've used the four absolutes specifically mm-hmm Right. And the four
0: absolutes are from the Oxford group, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. From the Oxford group. They're they're also in that pamphlet. They're mm-hmm. at the absolute honesty, purity, unselfishness, love. Mm-hmm. And just a brief comment on them that they're they're measuring sticks to which to measure my spiritual progress. They're never they're never things to aspire to. I cannot ever reach anything like perfect honesty or perfect unselfishness or perfect love. It's not humanly possible. But what is possible is I can say Well, if if absolute love were in the picture, what would absolute love do? What would absolute purity do? What would absolute unselfishness do? And what would absolute honesty do? That would be one way. But today, like the big book says, over time it becomes more intuitive, right? I've been like, I've had a relapse for like a month and a half, two, and then before that I had 14 months and I have about 16 months. So for the most part, I've been doing this almost solid for, I mean, besides those few months. I've been trying to do this solid for almost uh, three years, mm-hmm. right? And basically, during that time, I've become more in touch with my intuition and to trust my gut and to, to, like, most of the time, it's fear. Most of the time when I'm uncertain about something, it's just fear, and fear of messing something up. But, like, I, things that I know, God wants me to to not act out, to stay sober. God wants me to stay away from lust. God wants me to be kind and considerate and loving toward people. I know a lot of things which God will is and which, what God will is not. And then there's some times where it's just like kind of take the next right action. That's really a lot of times, but well, do what's right in front of me. So I had this story a couple of months ago, which was really cool when it happened because it was like, it wasn't something major, but it just showed me that I could use this general concept. So I had something to do for work. After work, I had to go do something for my job. And then I also, I wanted to go to the gym. So I wasn't sure which one I'm going to do first. Mm. Is there going to be time for both? And turned out, I just, okay. And I I prayed about it in the morning and I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure. I shared about it with a couple of people in the morning. Then I just went to work and I just, after work, just, the thought pretty much came to mind is just go. You go to the work thing first. That's more being responsible. The gym is more your own thing, mm-hmm. but work is something you're responsible for. So I got to do that first. I went to that thing for work. Turns out it ended up being like literally 15 seconds mm. in and out, because the person that was there, she just gave me the resource whatever I needed, and I just. And then I'm like, hey, wait, I'm right here. I have a bike. I was biking, and the gym is like five blocks away. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. The intuition and being in touch. Yeah, and sometimes I also have the, I reserve the right to be wrong, mm. which is why I'll consult with people. I had this other story with one of my sisters, for whatever reason, in my insane mind, you know, my mind, which is still sometimes insane, I'll make up all these kind of long stories about why at that point I felt she was unhealthy for me to be, to be in a relationship with, as in, you know, to interact with her. And when I called up one of my close friends and we're talking about it and he's like, well, even if she is unhealthy, she's your sister. And I'm like, Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> and like, in other words, like what, what harm is going to come out of you being in a relationship with her? That was the idea, you know, like I was af- afraid of something. and like, I could just kind of run it by someone. Cause I, I also find that like when I, when I'm not willing to, to run it by someone, that means there's something I'm hiding. I'm afraid of being wrong because I'm afraid of looking stupid. But most of the times, if I'm humble enough to say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" it'll never hurt me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Seeking counsel from others is a is a is a big help for me too. Before I, I have a few wrap-up questions, but before I jump into that, is there anything else about Step Eleven specifically that you feel is really important to share right now?
1: Yeah, I'll share very briefly. Like before, I mentioned about. um Prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening to God. Mm-hmm. And I just want to add that I listen to a lot, like I mentioned before, I listen to a lot of speakers and I hear, I guess, I could say I hear um, God speaking to me through them because I learned, I learned different things. I just listened last night. I wasn't able to sleep for a number of hours. Who knows why? And I, what do I do then? I listened to three, four hours of speaker tapes. So that's what I was doing. So I heard this, this idea that I'm going to, I'm going to utilize my own personal inventory you know, the next time I sit and write some inventory, I'm going to use some of the tools that I, the ways they they use to look at it. I see God directing me through that sometimes. And then the the other thing about it is, I've heard also that meditation is about following. Once I have a relationship with the higher power and I start with meditation, it's following my heart. So I see this journey. And then, like I mentioned, I had a relapse. And then one of the things I did when I, when I kind of was trying to get back from that relapse, I did something really cool, which is I realized my prayer meditation life is flat. So I had to add things. Hmm. Because I was doing these 12 prayers of meditation, so let's say eight months straight, almost every day, or pretty much every day. And then it got flat because it was missing the juice in it. Hmm. And now I do it again, but now I do it, I add other things. In the beginning, I did one thing that now I do with, now I work with Anthony DeMello. A lot of times throughout the day, I'll have PDFs of this book on my phone and I'll pull up a short story and meditate on it while sitting on the train on a bus or somewhere, mm. you know, just like that. Or just, med- just you know, I'll, I'll have that kind of stuff, you know, because I feel that like meditation is where everything in a way comes, like all the steps come from and go to each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I feel that prayer meditation is really where all the steps kind of come and go from. There's meditation that really connected to every step so i'll just mention like over time i realized there was a need to to up my spiritual life like what i did in the beginning wasn't enough and that's why i got dry i feel i was back on prayer and meditation like within that week of doing it Mm -hmm. and really starting to do it i felt like i was back on my game i felt like i felt for months before like just Mm -hmm. that peace that serenity of living life within trying to live within God's will. Right. And then like one of the cool things is I I sent a voice note on WhatsApp to one of my friends in in recovery because he had relapsed after three years. And I was two and a half half months sober about. And it was very detailed in exactly how I got back back up after the relapse, what I did, inventory, looking at ego Mm -hmm. that built up after 14 months and relapsing and how to kind of deal with that, a lot of different stuff like that. And then that recording I shared with a bunch of people over the last year and a half, almost um, able to be helpful to them. And I've listened back to it a few times myself and referred to stuff that I did there.
2: Uh-huh. Cause
1: that's when the memories were still fresh. But when I was two, when, when, when I was two months sober, I felt as if I was back living spiritually again. And I feel that a big, big, big part of that is the prayer and meditation more than anything else. Of course, Prayer meditation almost become useless when I'm not sponsoring people because, I mean, for me, I pretty much, from the beginning after this relapse, I pretty much, the first few days, I didn't even wait a week to start sponsoring people again. And that's just my experience. Hmm. And I I believe if I, I'll just mention this, I believe that if I'm working with the big book, I'm not going to kill them any more than they're killing themselves. And I worked with whoever was willing. There were some people that left me at the time. Right. And I have a whole other slew of people. And I'm constantly trying to work with people because prayer meditation, I I believe that an 11-step program is not enough to keep me sober. I need 12-step.
0: That's one thing my sponsor shared with me after I uh, had gone through the steps. And he said, all right, Justin, it's time for you to start sponsoring people. And I kind of balked at it. I was like, uh. And he goes, all right, well, you just worked in an 11-step program good luck. <laughs> and, uh, and it kind of woke me up, you know, of, uh, oh, all right. Well, I think it's probably time to, to look at sponsoring somebody. <laughs> so, and that, that really is walking with somebody else down these same paths that we walked and helping put their arm in the arm of God and walking alongside with, with them has helped me in my own recovery as much, if not more than my own working the steps for myself.
1: And you brought up a point, I'll just mention, number one, I don't have any experience literally staying sober without sponsoring. So yeah. I don't have that experience. If someone has that, that's great. I don't. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that came up for me around around that about walking shoulder to shoulder with people is that I, and it's specifically with meditation, I find a lot of people in the rooms that I bump into, sometimes with a couple of years of sobriety, and they don't really, my sponsor didn't really teach me much about prayer and meditation. So I you know, I gave people I shared it with a bunch of people that were over the last like two years, I shared it with a bunch of different people. And it's it's helped people tremendously to connect with God. I shared with them the audio and the, the audio and the PDF. And the PDF is just like the notes from that workshop, kind of the how would you call it, the it's the roadmap and the commentary on the book. Okay. But he says in the PDF, don't let anyone read your big book for you, including me. Mm. But basically my point is is two points number one with that um every time i share it with someone like a spencey i get a familiar call about two weeks and I'm doing this for two weeks and the obsession has been been lifted because mm. it's not the it's not like this is the specific method but when you pray and meditate and try to connect with god the lust kind of falls away it doesn't have that hold and that's how that that works and number two is that i was able to share this sometimes a few times with people who i wasn't sponsoring. But someone was very interested in meditation. I shared it with him, and then he called me back a couple of days afterward. And he's like, he did he did the meditation. He's experienced such an intense connection with his higher power. And what I told him is, you got to go and share that at a meeting. You want to keep that to yourself, but the only way I could keep it is by com- completely giving away the entire product. That line in the big book. Mm, I like it. Right. The line on it's my favorite chapter is the family afterward, and that line over there. It's on page one twenty nine, top of the page. It says. Father, father feels he has struck something better than gold. For a time, he may try to keep the new treasure to him, hug the new treasure to himself. He may not see at once that he has barely scratched a limitless load, which will pay dividends only if he mines it for the rest of his life and insists on giving away the entire product. Mm. So that's, that's what my 12-step work is about. It, it, in other words, 12-step work is not only limited to meetings and sees, It's limited to outside that too. Anything I get spiritually, if I don't give away, I'm. I'm not going to be able to keep.
2: Hmm.
0: No, I. I agree. I've had lots of insights, you know, spiritual insights in in my life where I thought, wow, that is such an amazing thing. I'm going to remember that forever, and if I don't share it, it's gone. I lose it too, you know. So I, there's a true concept there of sharing what I what I gain. So you see, here's here's my wrap up questions for you. I'd just like you to define four terms for me define them as, as you understand them in your own experience. First one is abstinence. Second one's um, sobriety. Third one's recovery. And fourth one is healing.
1: Thanks for that. So abstinence, abstinence, I guess, would just be the the physical not acting out, right? Physically not lusting and not acting out. Okay. Or today I would even add abstinence would be the freedom to not act, to not act out. To be in fit spiritual condition where there's no choice to act now. I don't have a choice today to act now. The same way before I didn't have a choice to. Not to, now I I don't have a choice to. It's just not possible. So many anecdotes that I can give of my own experience where I've had had this, where part of me wanted to because I'm still an addict, but it physically was not in my experience. It's just weird. Very weird kind of paradox how that works. Hmm. So abstinence, sobriety. So sobriety, um, one of my previous uh, sponsors, he defined, starting out the work, he gave me two words that he defined. One of them was sobriety. The other one was spiritual. So spiritual, he defined as of God, of God, of higher power. Um, sobriety, he sobriety defined as a life with God, like a, a life that God's running my life. That's That's sobriety because, you know, it's not just physical sobriety. It's emotional sobriety, mental sobriety spiritual sobriety and then the next term was recovery recovery means i believe that like the line in the book that bill talks about Abby being released says that um in the forward the second edition it says six months earlier the broker have been have been relieved of his drink obsession after a meeting with an oxford group friend right so that that's the way i would t- define recovery i guess another way i could define recovery is there. Eight areas of, of of self, which are the inner unmanageability, as, as um, how, the way I was taught about step one, on page 52, where we're having trouble with personal relationships, couldn't control our emotional natures, mm-hmm. we're prey to misery and depression, couldn't make a living, full of fear, useless, couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. So when I start having progress in these seven, in these eight areas of self, then I start discovering my what my true identity is and then i don't have so much trouble with my personal relationships and my emotional nature is not so up and down it's more it's more stable these days and i love my job and i can make a living and an honest living and i haven't been miserable and depressed and i'm useful i'm you know less afraid and more happy and helpful to others right that hmm. would be the opposite yeah that would be recovery right progress with these areas okay progress with the internal unmanageability but,, I, but, the way I see it is the internal unmanageability is a human condition that will be with me till the day I die at one level or another. The key in recovery is to not get attached to what it is right now, but to see to see them as just the human condition, not be attached to what they are right now.
0: Very cool. And then the fourth term is healing.
1: Healing would be to I experience healing in many different ways. Healing would be that. I don't use the word trigger much anymore. I'm not triggered. If I'm triggered. There's something, there's not something outside there. There's something within me. Mm. Right. So I don't use that. I really don't use that term. If I want to say something like that, I'll usually use the term. I was aroused because that's about me. Okay. Triggered usually is a term that I find people use to blame someone else mm. for the most part. It's that's like great. they triggered me or, and the problem always centers in my mind, not my body triggered is the body. Trigger mm. is not the mind, mm. so. But base. But basically, um, so that's one thing about it, and the other thing is that healing means. Um, is, I came here with a broken body, mind, and spirit, and my body and mind, I would say, are healed to the extent, to the extent that they that they ever will be. My body and my mind, I believe, like my mind is clear most days. It probably is, greater levels of that, I would say. But I believe that the spirit is where most of the healing has to happen. Mm. The spirit being more intuitive, being more being a little more gentle and tender with people, and being more you know not so forceful with things and and not insistent that everyone go my way or the highway. So I would say healing means to to kind of be in the same situations and not to have to act in the dysfunctional or unhealthy ways that I've done before.
0: Mm. Well, very cool. Well, Yitsi, any other final words of advice before we close up this really cool conversation?
1: I guess the only the only advice is I could say from there's a meeting that I go to that toward the end of the meeting they say, if you think you might be a sex addict, we we suggest you find a sponsor and start the twelve steps right away. And we have members here um, ready to get you started on your path to freedom.
0: Well, thank you very much, Yitsi, for this time for the for this conversation and the time you took out to do this. I really appreciate it. Hopefully it was meaningful to you. It was really meaningful to me. Yeah, thanks. So there you have it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. If you felt or were motivated to take some steps in your own life to make some changes, I invite you, as Yitzi did, to enter a room, get a sponsor, and start on the path. Now for the housekeeping part of the program. Please go and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at at jtlpodcast. Like and follow us. Please also go check out the website, www.jtlpod.com. And you can listen to old episodes there. You can learn a little bit more about our sponsors. You can learn a little bit more about me. And just learn a few things there at the website. Now if you want to share your own experiences, strength, and hope at some point in the future, you can email me at Podcast at gmail.com and we can set something up. Now, please, as I mentioned earlier, we do have some sponsors. Go visit them. I purposely have not put them at the beginning of these podcasts during this series um, because I feel that this information, these conversations are such that I didn't want sponsorship to be the primary are the first thing that is mentioned at the beginning of these things. But our sponsors really do help our podcast continue forward. They are a life untold.com, shepherdbrackets.com, and Radford Pine, Pines Home Use promo code Justin with a life untold to save 10% on your order, and JTLPod5 at Shepherd Brackets and Radford Pines to save 5% on your orders there. These conversations that I've recorded in this Journey in Recovery series really have been life-changing for me as I have been striving to apply many new concepts into my own life from the lessons I'm learning, and I'm definitely becoming a different and better person for it, and I hope that you have been too. Have a great week. Press forward one day at a time.